I, I feel a need to introduce myself, which feels kind of strange to me, but um, I haven't been around for a few months and there's many people here, some who I don't know at all and haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet and um, look forward to practicing with. So um, my name is Laura and um, my husband who goes by Kosin, but also Greg uh, and I uh, began this community maybe almost 18 years ago now. And as many of you know, though maybe not all of you know, um, Greg and I have been on a journey the past three months and um, it was an intense journey. And um, it may in some ways have been not so wise or even perhaps foolish to come and be with you all so soon after um, emerging from the most intense part of this journey. And I was given permission and kept giving my, myself permission to pull out if I needed to, because um, I feel so raw and tender. I actually haven't even sat formal zazen except for last weekend in three months. And as it happens when you're in the middle of something so profound, you don't, I don't even have perspective. I don't even know what I've been through. No, really, no less being able to organize it into some cohesive uh, narrative. And um, the other thing I would say is I, um, I feel a great reluctance to, um, to be in this position, um, which I'm never thrilled about being. Everyone who has ever heard me give a talk knows this is not my happy place. <laughs> um, and so, it's, so my whole body is um, like, what are you doing, Laura? There's, there's so much rawness there's a lot of pain there's a lot of fear there's a lot of undigested parts and um and no desire whatsoever to to feel as if i have any dharma to offer or can embody this role in some um way with that is um i don't know that i think it's supposed to be which is whatever that is so, um, so why am I doing this today? And I think I didn't know, but I realized a couple of things. One is one of the things that um, inspired me among many other things about Greg and the way he's dealt with his illness, which is basically for those of you who don't know, he had a, a diagnosis of tonsillar cancer, which has a really great cure rate, but a really uh, horrible treatment. So uh, uh, so for the last three months, uh, we've been in this experience. I've been in the experience and many of us have been holding this experience of Greg walking through um, an enormous amount of, of um, a kind of pain that um, strips you bare. 
So um, if I think about what the Dharma is, and I think about the teachings of the Buddha, the, the idea that um, we are um, training ourselves and being reminded of the reality of sickness, old age, and death. And to me, that is a messy experience. It is, as I'm aging, it is messy to age. <laughs> it is really messy to face um, the kind of um, illness that brings you to your knees. And it is, um, and facing death, which uh, gives you nothing to hold on to. So why would I wait until I'm all cleaned up about it to come and be with you? Also, I, um, I didn't want to wait to both let you know how Greg is doing because all of you, so many of you care so deeply for him. Um, so I wanted to let you know a little bit um, as I feel the conduit to his, um, to his state. And um, if nothing else, just to connect with you all and, and, and express my gratitude. And, um, and that I think I actually needed some kind of ritual. Um, when I lost my other family members to cancer, the kind of strangely endpoint was death. So it marked something. There was this journey of illness that ended in death. And the Lord, this is not the case. But I watched how we went from this intensive experience, this sacred experience, this overwhelming experience, and just kind of started to slip back into life. And, um, and life came coming at us. And I think um, having practiced so long and um, taken understanding the power of ritual, that this feels like maybe a ritual for me to be able to kind of mark the end of his treatment, feel community, um, and it's an interesting thing because you know you could say. And we all want to do this, you know, when somebody, somebody, all of us have been ill or somebody has been ill. And um, what's the moment where we're now not ill anymore? <laughs> you know, it's kind of arbitrary. It's not a defined moment. And I'm watching Greg, who is actually doing, and I'm calling him Greg because for me, he's Greg. <laughs> Kosen just feels like extra. I can't even make it come out of my mouth at this moment. Um, so for me, I, I watch. It's like 
I want him so, and he wants so badly to be healthy, you know, and he, he, he's, he, he lost 35 pounds. He, he could barely eat. This was the focus of so much of our, and so much attention and care. And then we went home and uh, we wanted to be just not ill anymore. And I say both of us, I used to think it was funny when, um, when someone was pregnant and, and uh, the husband would say, we're pregnant. I thought that's an odd thing, you know? <laughs> and I wasn't ill, I didn't suffer that pain, but, but I feel like I was, um, it was our illness. It was more than just our illness. So anyway, this idea that there's just this moment and everybody wants it. You know, we want to be like, okay, the illness is over there. We're back. It's okay. Let that fade away, which is good. It's good to come back to life, but it isn't, um, the ritual defines the moment, but there isn't this clean, clear moment where we're, we're not ill and illness will come back. So Jeffrey who's here today. He was at the retreat last weekend and, and um, I came over to embrace him. We had this embrace and Jeffrey, as you know, is a priest and works with folks who are dying. And in this, I saw him and I embraced him and I said to him, um, I whispered to him, I think we made it through. And he whispered back for now. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and then he said um rest while you can so um what i i'd like to just do is just share a little bit of this story of my story really because will, will, greg will share his story um, and I do it um, both to um, to help you hold it with me, and um, hopefully uh, it will uh, it will it will help be an encouragement for for practice, for why we practice and why we practice in community. So, um, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm not a scholar, that uh, the word dharma, I, I was struck by this, uh, that it has this roots in the Sanskrit DHR, and the DHR means to support or to hold or to bear. And it's related to the Latin um, root of firm or stable. So the dharma is um, is 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 this field to help uh, support or hold or allow us to bear things in the midst of, um, these are the words that come up, the brutality sometimes, uh, the enormity of uh, change and loss. So I was thinking about, um, this role that that Greg has played in my life and um 
I, as many of you know, I, I lost all of my family to cancer. My mom when I was 19, my sisters in my 40s, my dad when I turned 52. And um, what happened was I, uh, this orphan self that I was, I just attached <laughs> like a little magnet to Greg. I was, that orphan self was consoled and healed by his um, steady, available, trusting presence. As many of you have also taken refuge in. He's like a, he felt like, and is like a rock to me. And yet, uh, even though this self um, kind of um, allowed myself to believe that this was this was a stable ground for that I can rely on, and in a, a relative way, it is. I knew that that you know, just like um, Siddhartha, once you see sickness, old age, and death, you can't you can't put it away. And um, about two years after we started Zen Center, Tia Strozer, our, our guiding teacher, our Greg and our teacher, um, and many of yours, she did a, a ceremony, a public ceremony, where the students asked the teacher a question. And I don't know if any of you, were, maybe some of you were there. She was sitting on a stuffed bear at the time. That was her seat. And I remember... Um, it was two years after my sister died, and I said to her, um, how do I prepare for the possibility of Greg's death? I knew I was attached. And I knew how dangerous that was in a certain way. And she said to me um, something to the effect of, you can't prepare. I love Tia. <laughs> and, you know, it's true. We, I think, I know that I think I could, um, I don't know, get wise enough, smart enough, clean things up enough, control things enough that I can skirt around the inevitability of the thing that scared the shit out of me the most that would take my ground and um, destroy it. So it's a wonderful question to consider and wonder what do we rely on when we lose or are threatened by the loss of what we believe is critical for our well-being, whether it's emotional well-being, material well-being, physical well-being. And um, you know, this is a, a very intimate talk about myself and my relationship with Greg, but it is um, also uh, a universal exploration. And it seems like a very critical question given um, all the dying that's happening. So Tia's, Tia's teaching for me was very specific for me. It was you know, she knew that what I needed is to learn how to trust, trust in my ability to navigate pain, uh, trust in 
to go through hardship, to trust others, and to trust life itself. And um, and I I would say that if I had to uh, say something in a kind of simplified way about the practice of meeting um, meeting a groundlessness that's kind of blown away by a level of pain that feels like you can't manage it with your normal tools, you know, that what emerged for me uh, in equal parts was a fear and um, what I'm calling love. <laughs> profound pain and profound love. And uh, and in a, in a way, Tia was right on and I do believe that we can prepare for this this is why we're here so um I there was a, a a field of love between Greg and I and a trust that has been born out of 20 years of relationship and 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 a lot of mundane pain and stress and um and we knew each other well, and we were both very intentional. So that already offered an ability for me to kind of uh, really almost be devoted to that pain. I was ready, and I was glad, and I wanted to be there. And, um, and Greg, too, you know, and he's like, I'm ready, and I'm going to hang on to this joy, and we're going to do this. And of course, you know, it's kind of like a you have no idea. <laughs> we, are not, we, we think we're prepared. And, you know, on a functional level, we prepared. This is what's great about Zen practice. You know, we set up our containers. We had like our Zen schedule, this whiteboard with all the medications and when to take them. And we had our jishas and all of our, all of, all of the beings um, ready to help support us. And we had our rituals and we had our prayers. And um, we had our community. And um, we had uh, decades of experience, just like you all are doing by being here, sitting, sitting, meeting, meeting, pain in your legs, meeting pain of uh, conflicts in relationship, meeting all sorts of pain. We practice in this meeting of pain. And we, you know, we were, uh, so we felt pretty resourced, you know, and we had all of, of this uh, surrounding community. And then um, the pain kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming and intensifying and intensifying. And then every time we got destabilized by it, and address one symptom, another symptom would come and, and throw us back to the ground. And so, um, I watched, I watched Greg um, basically fall apart and fall into pieces. And like, he was like, he was like a baby, helpless. 
And um, and I watched myself sometimes feeling very uh, capable and very determined and very strong, especially when I was driving through Manhattan. I just, the New Yorker came out in me and I was, I was, I was moving with the, <laughs> the enormity of what it takes to drive through Manhattan every day for 40 days. So I felt a strength within me. And then, and then I felt the, the confrontation, you know, of holding it together. And this is the thing is that, you know, whether there's certain times with illness or a crisis or a loss where you just, those strategies are like nothing, you know, you, you have to let them go. And even this idea of, I am caretaking you at any kind of distance is, is, is a, a sort of, um, it gets in the way. So, so all of that had to kind of fall away and um, just, I just had to move, move with his pain and move with my pain. And, um, and then at a time he lost his mind, he literally lost his mind. And I know he'll share that with you. He, uh, because of not sleeping and not eating and the, and the narcotics, he was delusional at times. It was kind of funny at, you know, I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> his ancestors, his relatives came to visit. Tia was in the room somehow. And, um, and, and so part of me uh, realized like, okay, I have this, um, I have this capacity and I'm surrendering and I'm opening. And yet um, there's some part of me that won't, I can't relax. You know, I have to stay vigilant. I kept thinking about new mothers, new parents, fathers, where you're like, okay, you've got this completely um, vulnerable being that you're responsible for. And you can't kind of just zone out. You can, and you have to, and you have to learn how to take refuge, but you have to stay there and you want to stay there and you find some incredible strength to stay there. And I say this because I think this is what we, uh, the teachings are really pointing to, which is we practice and we create a kind of awareness and we're watching the pain and we're not getting caught up in the story. And then you're sitting maybe the third day of Sashin or the relentlessness of a crisis keeps coming and then you just surrender to it. And even the slightest little distancing is, um, creates suffering and keeps you from um, being able to respond. So what I really wanted to talk about, and there's many things to talk about, is, um, is the really enormity, which I think is transferable. And the thing I want to speak about the most is how I had to learn how to receive and surrender to love. I needed, and Greg, the, the love 
which I am speaking about in the form of um, the endless flowing in of kindness and generosity and care. Many of us have a very um, complicated relationship to receiving, maybe more than to giving, my guess is, as do I. And Greg said to me, you know, we're not going to do it your way, your family way, which is basically separate, isolate, don't talk to anybody about anything, lock it all down and bear it alone, which I did when my mom was ill and and somewhat when my sisters were ill and I watched them do it and you don't even talk about this and um, Greg said no we're going to do it a different way <laughs> he said we're going to do the Pennsylvania Dutch way which may be the way of many communities where you uh, invite everybody in to to the field of support and um, we had uh, two we had so much support coming in and I feel like there were two altars. There was this healing altar, which we sent a picture of with just to represent in some material way, the endless field of love and care. So that was one altar. And then the altar was the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> and the true altar in the place where I bowed to every day. In and because Greg couldn't eat, like it was life and death, it felt like to me to get a morsel of food into this man. And the, the her courage for him to try to keep eating because every, every bite was a, he cried out in pain or got sick. That's the brutality of this particular kind of, uh, disease so anyway all of this food comes in I can't even begin to tell you what kind of food came into our home <laughs> I just see I'm looking at Adrian's chicken and Novakus dumplings and endless soups making its way from Brooklyn kitchens through Manhattan up to Union and uh, the communities that we felt uh, the families, the union community, people who didn't even know me offering all this love and all this care. Greg's, Greg's um, colleagues just um, knocking on the door and giving me a little bag of food to eat. Uh, it just is, uh, and me in the middle, in the middle. So there's like me in the middle trying to feed him and and my ability to do that was because I was supported. We were supported by these endless fields. And if I didn't let it in, if I didn't let the support in, I could not stay with him. So it was essential. It was essential for him. It was essential for me. And it also was essential that people I could receive the, the need for people to give to us. 
this is a really important point. And that means admitting you're vulnerable and that you have need. It, 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 it asks you to um, honor the, that relationship. I just spent the night at Lisa's and this, and Lisa is like feeding me like an Italian grandmother for me, you know? <laughs> and I was trained in my family to always say no when somebody asked me if I wanted something because I did because we were told not to burden anybody. And so I have to keep practicing, you know, yes, Lisa, I will take that egg. I will take that coffee. I will take that, that. And um, so to me, the possibility for all of us, and I'm talking about a distinct and profound and contained kind of intense experience of uh, pain, but this is applicable every single moment in our lives to our little mundane pains, to our chronic pains. And what's really interesting to me is how easy it is for people to uh, be generous. And if you don't receive, you cut off that generosity. People give up. They don't know what to do. And then they're left bereft of their desire to care. And, um, and it doesn't have to be some big thing. And you notice that, and this is, um, this is the other gift that the, um, the, the way that love and pain uh, break through all the defenses and, and, and let you begin to see how impactful small kind acts are. So every morning when we went into the treatment center, we lived there practically. We were there every day for 40 days, except for some weekend on uh, weekends. And um, this treatment center is full of people with cancer, uh, hundreds of people coming through with cancer, you know, which is also reminds you that it isn't so personal and it, it's, it's everywhere. And one time or another, we'll all be on both sides of this continuum, you know, that we will be ill or will be taking care of somebody who's ill so here's this there's so there's a you have to go in and you have to like sign in so Greg goes to the front desk and signs in and they ask his name and he gets his his little sheet of where he has to go today and then I have to I have to like get a tag from the security woman so the first week we do this by the second week, we walk through the door and the woman has the paper ready and says, hey, Schneider, <laughs> that's Greg's last name. Here you go. And um, I go to the desk and my name's already filled out. Hi, Laura, how are you? This woman holding hundreds of people a day, like a machine going through. And this woman knows my name and she asked me how I'm doing. And in the midst of like the, the kind of machine, a beautiful, skillful, lovely machine I'm so grateful to have, there's these, there's these people who kind of pop out of their role 
and take a minute to like meet you. And then you go into this radiation, this room to have radiation. And, and because people are on a schedule, the same people are at the same time. So you go to see these people. So we're all sitting in our little spaces and you can feel how people are doing. And then one day this man walks in and he doesn't walk in. He's in his uh, little uh, electric, um, what do you call wheelchair or whatever? Bright, his wife with him by his side all the time. And he's like, hi, you know, good morning. And then we start to have a relationship. We have a little community. And then we find out somebody's done. They have one more treatment and we all celebrate. Very impactful. And, um, and then, uh, you know, this field starts to open up a field I hadn't been in it. And this field of nurses and healthcare workers and people suffering and people suffering without all the privileges that we have of resources and insurance and a partner with you and a community loving you. And then we see, you know, I, I, I've always had a very, um, just such a gratitude for nurses. I know your mom was a nurse there. Yeah. So the doctors, it's such a strange thing. The doctors were wonderful, but you saw the doctors for, you wait 25, maybe 30 minutes. The doctor comes in, he's there for a moment. He sees something, he prescribes something and then he goes. And there's a woman there whose, whose name was Kathy Constance. So the doctors you call by their, their, their last name <laughs> and the nurses you call by their first name. And the majority of nurses in my, the experience I had were women. And there was a nurse there, Kathy Constance, and everybody knew about this woman. And it was like, I, we knew from the beginning like, this is the person to go to. This is the woman with all the power in the whole place. You don't mess with Kathy. <laughs> and Kathy, you know, you know, the healthcare system, there is such pain because people have such little time with, with everyone. And Kathy didn't give a shit. She'd sit down and she'd talk to you. She's an older Italian woman, a devout Catholic. She just like, just was like my people talked about pastina. Does anyone know what pastina is? <laughs> it's a tiny little noodle. When we were growing up, a lot of us Italian kids had with butter and you give it to kids when they were sick. It was so small. And we thought, can let's try pastina. But anyway, Kathy had us. She listened to us. She understood the impact of the pain medication. The doctor's just like, yeah, take all this. And Kathy's like, no, 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 no. So the doctor prescribed something. He left the room. Kathy would give us the deal about what to do. And by the end, my whole body was resting in Kathy. And Kathy would uh, take uh, Metro cards, pay for Metro cards herself and take them so she can give them to people who couldn't afford to get to treatment. She'd save and gather uh Gatorade and smoothie boosts for people. 
and and she trained everybody to look people in the eye and pay attention. So, so this is all, you know, and Kathy isn't a Buddhist, you know, <laughs> she's just a, a person who has developed the capacity to be with uh, what is happening without anything extra and dropping out of that role and being there. So, you know, there's an image in Buddhism of, a, of this Bodhisattva, Kishkuk, Kishkuk, Kishkuk. Thank you. Can you say again? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Kishkuk Garba? Thank you. Jizo is how we, how I call this being. And this is a is this is a bodhisattva who willingly goes into the hell realms, and this bodhisattva goes into the hell realms. And in one hand, this this bodhisattva has a wish fulfilling jewel, and this wish fulfilling jewel is a jewel which bestows blessings on all of those who suffer. In one hand, then in the other hand, they have a staff with six rings on top, which have, represent the paramitas i believe and um and and what i love is sometimes this bodhisattva is accompanied by a dog <laughs> um and i you know and when greg was sick molly was the was his primary nurse she could she would smell him when she got he got back from treatment and jump up and check him out and just lay there with him so I think what I want to just uh, say, and I waited till the end to say it, is um, how much each of you were, were our wish-fulfilling jewel. And um, and um, how much uh, the the uh, insistence of your love and your care in this sangha, in the union sangha, in our family sangha and friend sangha, um, allowed us to support, hold, and bear the pain. And no one can be strong alone. And strong doesn't mean not falling apart. And strong doesn't mean not having our heart broken or even shutting down or um, being fearful in the middle of the night and not being able to sleep. That's not the opposite of strength. So our practice is to just keep letting our pain transform us. But if we don't let the love in, if we don't rest in the love, if we don't realize we are surrounded by love, you can feel it. This is what we practice to feel. Um, we will just um, hurt ourselves and those that we are trying to be of service to. 
So in these small ways, as we sit zazen or be in community and struggle through the sufferings of our lives, you know, this is, uh, as you know, and we talk about, this is not transcendence practice. <laughs> this is like breaking through to just the basic humanity. And there's a beautiful book um, by Frank, oh, how do you pronounce his last name? Hey, what a beautiful book. What a beautiful man. I can feel his, he's a, a Dharma teacher and a, a Zen hospice uh, a founder and he devoted his life to service. And he had a major heart attack at one point. And he said, you know, one minute I'm this, you know, exalted Dharma teacher. And the next I'm just another body in a hospital gown with my butt sticking out, you know, <laughs> like that's it. So I hope um, this practice and this, uh, this reliance on community, you know, community is hard. Community has been part of the pain and stress. I could say that actually has created some illness for Greg, the way his karma and my karma have interacted with community and just the pain of being in community. Or, or being in communities of, of, of that where, it, where, it, where devoted to staying in and meeting and being intimate with. Because communities are filled with human beings who are filled with uh, ancestral and, uh, and current pain of all sorts. So we have, we're all training. And if you stick around long enough and, and, and sit long enough, you also learn to, uh, to surrender and feel and rest in this kind of love. You know, we call it stillness or emptiness or suchness. Um, and that's it. That's life, you know. And it's beautiful. And it's tender and it's vulnerable. And it could disappear. Your stability could disappear like that. So I hope, um, I hope I don't forget that. I hope I don't, um, you know, and I can't even hold on to the specialness or the sacredness of this experience, you know, which has brought, which feels like it's brought For me, it's brought us um, so close. Such a gift. And now I have a whole new community at Union of people who I rest in. And um, I have a whole freezer worth of soups I get to eat soon. <laughs> and um, and and can we all, um, and can I, and this is my prayer for myself, can I not forget that, um, you know, it's just for now, as Jeffrey said, it's just for now. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there's so much joy even in that, it's true. 
I would say there wasn't joy every minute. And I think sometimes the pain got so bad, you know, joy. uh, There was a, there was a intimacy. And there is a relief when we get a break. And um, and I I I just want to also um, thank everyone for continuing to practice. Thank you so much to Sarah and Charlie for for holding that space, and um, all of you continuing to practice because um, you know I have really faith in this way. And the magic of Zen is not somewhere else. It's in all of these bodies here. And in our relationships. And in, in, in the ability to let our kindness come out. And for us to rest in it. May our intention equally penetrate every... Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.